welcome to the Enthusiast Podcast, where I sit down with leading founders, operators, and investors that are trailblazers in their ecosystems, leapfrogging development and creating growth for their economies. We dive into the nitty-gritty of scaling business and investing, showcasing the tremendous success cases beyond Silicon Valley. Hi, this is Pat from The Enthusiast, and we are in for another special episode. This time I sat down with Jana Yavasevich and Josh Vardern of Alter Global, an early stage investing firm that invests in Latin America, Southeast Asia, Middle East, Africa, literally all across emerging markets. We delve into their respective roles at Alter, how the firm has grown over the last few years, their investment approach, their general take on investing in emerging markets, how to curate deal flow, how to identify early stage founder talent, and so much more. Really enjoyed sitting down with Yash and Jana, diving into their respective journeys. So much to unpack there. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. And remember, you can follow The Enthusiast wherever you're getting your podcast and make sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Substack and Medium to stay up to date with the latest episodes. Now onto the show. Hi, Jana. Hi, Josh. It is such a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks for making the time. Thanks so much for having us. We're excited to be here and, and talk all things Emerging Market BC. Got a lot to talk about. And uh, well, to dive right in, I wanted to take a step back. And I'm curious how the two of you actually ended up in the world of venture and then subsequently joining Ultra. Yeah. So for me, truthfully, it, it came from an internal drive. I, I was an immigrant growing up in the States, feeling very much between two worlds. And because of that, always drawn to work that really brought people together and created community and gave opportunity to people that were traditionally passed over. I I studied international business and diplomacy. And my first job out of college was working and managing teams of engineers in particular from all over the world. And after I, I left that product management role within a huge Fortune 250 setting, I did the exact opposite of that. I completely pivoted 180 and decided to start a company. And the drive for me there was that I didn't feel there was a lot of information or context or learning that one could get from founders about that earliest zero to one stage. I think we have a few shining examples in our industries of entrepreneurs that have succeeded tremendously and reached great heights, but there isn't a lot about that, those very earliest stages and days. And I wanted to learn what it was like to go from zero to one on a very practical level too, from anything from incorporating your company and knowing how to do so to spending your first marketing dollars and understanding the world of CAC and ROAS. As part of my company, I did a bit of equity fundraising as well and became even more aware of the challenges that founders face when they don't match necessarily the Silicon Valley model. And so when I exited my company and was looking at different firms, I really fell in love with Alter's mission specifically of empowering founders from emerging markets, founders that felt very unique in the backgrounds that they had and where they were in the world and what they were trying to build. 
So it's been two and a half years now and couldn't imagine doing anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, over to you, Josh. Yeah. Um, firstly, it's great to be your pad. I think there are only far and few emerging market enthusiasts, uh, and it's good to be uh, part of that, that small little uh, tribe. So for me, uh, very interestingly, I, I come from this city called uh, Kolkata uh, in eastern India, and I've been fortunate to be always surrounded by entrepreneurs uh, in my family. So I had this uh, internal intrinsic dive of uh, development, of social impact, and after majoring in economics, like many other folks, I ended up joining a financial advisory firm uh, with Deloitte in Mumbai. Did some work in London as well uh, with them. But after, you know, like two, two and a half years, uh, this is 2018 where uh, Walmart just announced its acquisition uh, of Flipkart in India for like almost $16 billion, right? And that for me was like that moment where I was like, hey, you know, startups are no longer a fad. It's a real thing, right? And that curiosity really, you know, made me go into uh, a rabbit hole. We ended up joining an impact investing firm. So I was reading this book. Um, I was reading Ikigai. And at that point of time, I was like, how can I marry my interest, my passion, and something that I want to spend the next 10 years of my life? Um, so I joined this impact investment firm, which was helping emerging market companies figuring out early product market fit. It is during that time I realized, uh, hey, you know, in infrastructure in emerging markets, is so broken and what a deep impact you can have by helping entrepreneurs figure uh, what to do next. Um, so it is during my, uh, you know, that stint where I came across the Alter Fellowship, uh, which is a six-month program where you can go and work with companies that Alter has invested. So for me, Southeast Asia, especially Indonesia, was always very, very interesting. It, it felt like it was a few years behind India, but had got the right infrastructure. So I ended up joining a fintech lending company uh, that Alter was supporting, spent some time in Indonesia and realized the potential of, of emerging markets. Um, and it's been pretty organic since then. I ended up meeting a lot of entrepreneurs which were starting up. I knew a lot of business models at that point of time, which had already happened in India. And we were serving a bridge between Silicon Valley to Southeast Asia. Uh, so we organically joined Alter, fell in love with their mission, um, and now have been with Alter for almost three years. Amazing. That, that's one of the things I find also so fast fascinating about venture in emerging markets. You get all these, these folks from different backgrounds right, that somehow get enchanted by this, you know, and then branch out, investing, diving into those regions. It's, it's crazy, right? Like we had 70 different people on, on the pod and everybody has kind of a different life story, but then there's these common threads that then bring you over when you talk about impact of, of mm -hmm. actually doing, doing good through technology investing. And, and that to me is always so gratifying when, when I think about it. Yeah. That convergence is we're almost that there's a meeting point somewhere for everybody a turning point where something clicks and yeah, you want to spend your time, your energy supporting a different kind of entrepreneur or engaging in a different kind of market building. Yeah. Yeah. I fully agree. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to talk more about Alter and, and the fellowship also, which is an amazing program of getting people into the world of kind of venture and emerging markets. But before that, Jana, can, can you maybe lead us a little bit through the founding of Alter, and I guess you guys started out as a, as a nonprofit, which is interesting, right? Uh, some parallels to Endeavor there, I guess. Um, but yeah, how did that that actually come about? Yeah, absolutely, happy to share, and definitely uh, 
a large amount of parallels to Endeavor because one, our, our founding board member is actually Alan Taylor of Endeavor Catalyst. So very familiar with the model. And uh, we've been proud that 10 out of 30 of our portfolio companies to date have actually become Endeavor entrepreneurs. So very close connections for sure. But to go back a little bit, Alter was really born out of our founding partner's question of when traditional aid falls short of creating sustainable, scalable economic growth in the communities that it serves, what actually works? And how can the world evolve to one where the equality of opportunity doesn't feel so distant? Can for-profit businesses and social impact be one and the same rather than mutually exclusive? And so with that in mind, Jesse, our, our founding partner, he began his career in general in traditional diplomacy and then went to Stanford Business School out of just this real desire to answer that question and left with the passion to start an early stage venture capital firm that would invest in emerging markets. So our core mandate today. Uh, the challenge was that it was very early. It was 2015. And at that point in time, there were very few early stage venture firms investing in these regions, uh, particularly ones that wanted to do so globally. So for the first five years, Alter operated as a nonprofit. We coined uh, the term of being an entrepreneurial support organization, being physically on the ground in emerging markets all over the world, connecting founders with top-notch talent through our fellowship program, helping founders refine their product roadmaps and build out different revenue channels, connecting them with other investors that would actually put capital in. And in doing this, we were honing our own investment thesis over time. So in 2020, we reincorporated as a for-profit venture firm and have been investing since. The mandate, the thesis has still remained the same. So we support primarily pre-seed, seed, and series A companies in emerging markets with initial checks of around 500K and follow-ons between one and 5 million. And we do so exclusively in emerging markets. So for us, we define that as Latin America, the Middle East, South and Southeast Asia, and Africa. As I mentioned before, we have 30 investments today uh, over the course of the last three years. And we really see that as just the beginning. So as you and folks of the pod know, the VC ecosystems that we're investing in are still very early, very nascent. And so we are playing a part really in building them up over time as well. We look at Alter in general as a venture capital firm with a higher purpose, which for us means being a firm that is really mission-driven and uh, not ever sacrificing economic profit for impact or the reverse as well, but really looking always to marry the two together and figure out how to build tech ecosystems in emerging markets all over the world while also bringing in global investors into that and showing them the opportunity that's there. Yeah, I love that. And it's crazy when you think about it, like, because for us who are in this space, it feels like so natural. It feels so logical that you can marry for-profit investment, investing and economic growth and su sustainable development really in emerging markets, right? Because we always talk about development aid in emerging markets. We talk about, gosh, those markets are, have so many challenges and there's political instability. And, and, and we never talk about the opportunities, really. Like, 
the, the news coverage on emerging markets to me, when I look at it in the Western world, is across the board kind of really negative. I, let's face it, right? So, so I always feel like we got to go against the common wisdom. It's so frustrating sometimes. Like I wish it to be a lot more part of kind of the development playbook of how the Western world or in general, the world thinks about emerging markets, more thinking about the opportunities rather than only the problems and challenges. Why do you think is that still the case? Like why, why can we not change the narrative? A great question. I think we are, but I think it takes time. So Alter was founded eight years ago. Eight years ago, when we wanted to become a for-profit venture firm, we were one of three or four uh, businesses around the world that wanted to start something like this. Today, we're one of probably 10 or 12. I think in general, we've also seen from a purely quantitative perspective, the amount of capital that has flowed into emerging markets over the last three, four, five years increase exponentially year over year. So to me, those are signals of the fact that the sentiment is turning, but that it will continue to take time really to adjust. Now there's a benefit to early players in that as well, right? From a, an economic perspective, uh, it's good to be the first mover in spaces like this. I would be excited to have this conversation again in 10 years and see if that's still the case. Because my hunch is that uh, as as year over year goes on, that that sentiment is really changing quickly. Yeah, the only thing I was adding is one of the theory of change that we believe in in Alter is, uh, you know, this global model entrepreneurship uh, where we yeah. think that success begets success. So really, I think in emerging markets, like even in India, right? Like we have this first wave of maturity where founders have scaled companies, built companies, exited and starting again. Uh, and we really see like, hey, some of the markets that we're investing, uh, this is only a matter of time, right? Like in, when you see large problems, large infrastructure problems in these markets, entrepreneurs uh, see this opportunity, see these problems. So like the whole Kareem success story, for example, in the Middle East, I do think so the large multiplier effect that that had in the ecosystem in terms of founders understanding how ventures work, um, you know, what is scaling, what are the challenges in scaling. That is something that we see happening in Bangladesh, that we see happening in Indonesia, right? That we see happening in Mexico. So I think we're just getting started and uh, we have uh, much more days to see. Uh, fully, fully agree. Yeah, it's it's this compounding uh, kind of incremental change that we're seeing, and and once it compounds, like the, the 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 power of compounding, I guess, is always underestimated. We can we can really see kind of this inflection point. Uh, I think we're not quite there yet, but it's it's gonna happen. I mean, twenty twenty one gave us a little bit of a flavor of it. What what can be there? Um, maybe maybe to a certain extreme, but um, but we we gonna get there sustainably. I feel, and and uh, it's just the potential and the opportunity is so so big. And and I mean, diving a little bit deeper on kind of Alter's approach to investing, because you guys are global from the get-go, very diversified team, mm -hmm. right? investing across emerging markets, and it's not easy. And you guys, you go really early. It's it's impressive how early you go. And like at Endeavor, we are not that early, as you know. What What's the secret sauce of, of Alter in that sense of identifying that, that talent on the ground so early? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'll preface by saying we're always still learning. So I don't think we've necessarily mastered it permanently. I think we should always be in a state of, of learning and adjusting to what the market shows us. But 
it's a good time actually to talk about this question because we recently did a a check-in with all of our founders in our portfolio specifically to ask them uh, to get a sense of what is it that you find unique about Alter's approach to supporting you and why choose Alter as a partner in general. And so I can speak with more confidence about the things that uh, that we have long seen as our core value add, but that they have also supported very recently. So the first is certainly our fellowship program that uh, Yash mentioned earlier. The higher level overview of the program is that it matches young professionals typically with two to five, six years of experience from backgrounds such as uh, consulting programs or financial rotationals or uh, folks that have experience working at startups or as engineers, data scientists, product managers, matches them with one of our portfolio companies to go and work with them on the ground for six to 12 months. And through that program, we have placed about 90 folks in different uh, roles all around the world to date. We typically run two cohorts a year with a rolling cohort uh, for largely technical roles as well as our company's needs are always evolving. And it's just been an incredible way to offer our portfolio companies really, really strong talent, but for their local market rate, rather than uh, needing to pay extra for it or have it be out of their price point rather. So that's been a program that we know our founders have been really excited about, and I think we will continue operating as time goes on. The second piece is that from a global standpoint, we are quite intentional about sharing with our portfolio companies what we're constantly noticing on a global scale and also helping them then speak with each other to share those learnings. So uh, on, a, on a daily basis, we are connecting founders within our portfolio and outside of our portfolio with others that are building in a similar space. The beauty of being global in that way then is that founders are much more willing to be vulnerable and open with one another about what is working for their businesses. And at the same time, where are their challenges? And if learning from one another, if there is something that they could be trying, that perhaps a founder building in a similar space in a different part of the world has and has had strong success with. Just to share a quick example, we have supported a number of B2B marketplaces that are specifically targeting the corner store in different parts of the world. Uh, two of them, both actually Endeavor entrepreneurs, one is Bazaar in Pakistan and the other is Chipper in Colombia. And the, the founders of the two companies have spoken together quite a bit in the past around different strategies that they're trying within their companies and, and what could be working. So that global visibility and business model sharing that we do has been really valuable. And we also share, by the way, a lot of these things publicly. We are quite intentional about publishing our theses as we develop them. So happy to share a link later for anybody of your listeners that's interested in checking that out. And then the last two that I'll touch on quickly is the future financing support side. So being intentional about helping our founders prepare for rounds of fundraising and putting them in touch with potential investors. But frankly, more importantly, just helping them understand the world of venture a little bit more, how to think about structuring their round, how to think about dilution, how to understand 
what are the kinds of different partners that you might want to work with at different stages and being really open and candid about things like that, where again, I, I don't think founders have a lot of visibility or education into that. You're just kind of learning as you go and hoping for the best typically. And the last, frankly, is just being a true partner and listening ear and shoulder for our founders, which it's a little bit intangible. You can never fully quantify it necessarily, but just making your founders feel and truly know that you have their back, no matter what happens, that you'll pick up that phone at two in the morning on New Year's Eve or any other time. You'll share their highs and lows with them. You care about who they are as a person beyond who they are as a founder. We've really seen that make a difference. And it's something that can't be overstated, actually, I think. So those are the those are the four things that have really stood out to be what makes Alter unique in particular. And I I'm, I feel very proud of, of those things that we are doing today and very keen to continue building on them in the future. It makes all the sense. There, there's so much there to to unpack. Um, but yeah, as what you mentioned in terms of uh, the bazaar and the chipper founders kind of exchanging notes and, and this cross-pollination across geos, I think that's, that's so powerful and that uh, has to be leveraged more. And that's one of, I feel, kind of the big value adds you have kind of as a, as a global fund um and then being also globally distributed as as a team we had quona on on the pod several times and uh i mean their managing partners are uh, distributed all over pretty much right um and, and there's several other examples i'm always wondering how do you make it work and how do you set it up really right how how do you get that deal flow do you then like regionalize and say okay this is this is the region you look after right i mean uh, uh josh you're based in, in india yana is based out of sf what's your approach at alter to to curate that early stage deal flow is it really you're regionalized in that sense and how do you make sure you get that team cohesion when you when you bring on deals and get that conviction of saying okay we're gonna invest early stage in bangladesh for instance a oh, great question. We, we get that asked a lot, uh, especially by the NPs. Being globally distributed from the get-go has, has really worked out. Uh, so we we do have some team members who look at Latin America, who look at Middle East, who look at India specifically, and then also Southeast Asia, right? So we have uh, regional leads, we call them, right? So uh, it's not like, you know, as a total, uh, you know, uh, number of people, we're still less than 10. But we consistently try to punch above our weight. Uh, so as a fund, Alter is a very thesis-driven fund. How we do it is we identify certain business models that we go super deep on trying to understand what's worked in them, right? Like who are these category creators? What, what are the challenges they faced? How did they scale? And a lot of times, just infrastructurally, a lot of other emerging markets are pretty much in the same trajectory, right? So, for example, as e-commerce penetration and emerging markets are increasing, uh, we identified the, the e-commerce fulfillment model, which is on the logistics side, something similar to, to Flexport, or in India, there's a company similar to ShipRocket. And we, we identified that, hey, you know, in Indonesia, for example, we invested in a company called Shipper. Uh, and then we identified that, you know, in Egypt as well, there are a lot of uh, e-commerce sellers and resellers 
which need that logistic last mile pick back deliver support. So we they, we invested in a company called Flexstock there, uh, and similarly we came across uh, a company in Colombia called Melon, right, which is kind of doing the same thing. So for us, what helps is going deep on on certain business models, almost following it in terms of waves. So we have this one thesis with which we call internally the waves of innovation. So for every sector that we map, just fintech, logistics, e-commerce, education, healthcare, and now a little bit of agri and climate. We almost have mapped out that, hey, what is wave one? What is wave two? What is wave three? As the companies and the infrastructure matures. And then we go and find uh, certain business models and certain founders in each of these respective regions uh, which are doing it. So that's kind of top of funnel for us where we are able to every quarter almost refresh it and say, hey, you know, does this fit our, our thesis, right? And if it doesn't, do we want to expand our thesis? So it's a very intentional effort. Uh, of finding certain business models, seeing what works, what doesn't. So that helps us uh, really being globally distributed and still get access uh, to some of the best deals. The only two other things that I'll add on the source inside is with the local funds. So we serve as a global complement to the local fund. Uh, and for them, it's very interesting because we are sometimes a little bit ahead in terms of their business models. And we've seen how it's already worked in, in India, in Brazil, in Indonesia in some cases. So uh, a lot of our deal flow actually ends up coming from local funds. So that helps us with the deal flow. Uh, and third is really uh, sometimes even the alter founders, right? Like, uh, you know, with the work that we do with them, uh, they, they very consistently also refer deal flow to us. So there are two or three of these like main sourcing channels and lean team but trying to punch above our weight to find these very best founders. And switching gears slightly, and uh, I want to dive a little bit into the your roles, right, that you're having at, at Alto, because I mean, the, this podcast is meant to also inspire a little bit, kind of if you want to break into VC, what do you actually do in a VC? And what are the different roles that you have in a venture firm, especially when we're talking about an early stage firm, very lean team, how do you set this up? So curious on your two respective roles, what does your day to day look like? Uh, how has it evolved as Alto is growing? So yeah, thanks, Patrick, for that question. So my role within Alter, as you were mentioning, has really evolved. Uh, when when I started, we were a two-person investment team. Uh, now we have almost uh, four. And I currently head the investments. Um, and I enable each regional head to find and win the best deals in the region. Uh, and what that means is, you know, trying very hard to first set the investment process, right? Um, like, hey, you know, what is the funnel of the first call? The second call, usually I try to take with the founder. The third call is when we involve our partners and we have internal IC discussions after the third call, right? So we actually have a very, very robust funnel uh, and the process of how do you not only get access to the best deals, but how do you even win these deals, right? Uh, what is the timeline attached to it? Because sometimes speed is, one of the key differentiators of how you even win these, right? And that's one, that's one of our North Star metrics when we're trying to uh, go deep and go early in these emerging markets. We have more than 30 portfolio companies now. So I also spend some part of my time also helping companies that we've already invested in. Uh, so, you know, helping them with fundraising, but also helping them with business model insights uh, of how we are seeing business models really evolve across different markets. And then I think the third bit uh, where I spend some of my day-to-day -day is uh, helping Alter's brand 
so doing some thought leadership pieces. We have uh, inside blogs on our website that we do regularly. Uh, and then we are trying to think about new uh, business models and pieces as well. Like right now we're working with the cross-border uh, e-commerce and, and fintech pieces along with climate. So there are new things that we consistently work on, which I try to spend more and more of my time. But really, I think what is my day-to-day and, and what gives me energy is talking to these founders who are so early, really spending time with them, um, you know, understanding why and why they do what they do, uh, their intrinsic motivation, and, and really betting on them, right? Uh, so that's that's what gives me a high, and, and I love doing that. I couldn't echo that more. I, I really agree with that, Yash. Working with founders every day is a daily dose of motivation uh, because they're really doing the hard work. I see our job as just being there to support them in any way that we can. And sometimes that's very practical. And sometimes it's not necessarily related to the operations of their business, but it's just about showing up for them and making them know that they have a partner to brainstorm things with and that cares about them. And again, who they are as a person, as much as who they are as the leader of a company which is a really unique role to take. Uh, so for my own day-to-day, I, I'm the head of platform for Alter. For anybody listening that might be interested about the world of venture, but not necessarily be in it today, that's a role that's evolved quite a bit over time. And it's also a term that does not inherently communicate what that actually entails. <laughs> so I'm happy to share what it looks like for us at Alter is first and foremost, I, I lead our portfolio support post-investment. So working with our founders to identify what it is that they could use our help with and then providing that for them over time and making sure that we're checking in consistently enough with them to know if there are any large business model insights that we should be aware of, if there is anything happening internal to their teams that we need to know about and proactively support with. So that is uh, the most important piece of what I do for us. I also oversee a small team that leads Alter's operations internally, setting them up, streamlining them as it pertains to our day-to-day function, but also that of our fund and our LP management. And the last piece is also spending time on trying to build Alter's global presence out externally. So developing more relationships with especially growth stage firms globally, um, but also just building up our ecosystem presence in each part of the world that we operate in, given our our lean team. So every day looks a little bit different, but that's what makes it really exciting and dynamic for me too. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and the roles the two of you have are obviously quite quite complementary and, and, and they need each other. Yeah, so you're coming in, earlier in the in the funnel when you're looking at the deal flow stage and the investment process and then Yana you coming in uh, actually on on the portfolio side right and 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 that's so so critical because one is getting into those early stage deals and winning them and and being able to attract the founders but then the other is how do you actually add value right which is to me always the most dubious uh and i guess what's the most difficult to measure like how do you actually support these folks and how do you do you build that trust with the founder mm-hmm. to actually be vulnerable in front of you? Mm-hmm. Like, like that's mm-hmm. something that we come across quite a lot. Because, I mean, as a founder, there's so much pressure on you always. And um, 
of course you might have uh some imposter syndrome so 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 yeah, which is natural right especially if you're a young founder and i i feel like it takes a lot to create that that vulnerability so i'm curious how how do you achieve that at ultra in, in the early stages is there a lot of peer-to-peer also going on how do you facilitate that right because that's that's something that we we constantly come across when we're working with founders at endeavor there's certainly some peer-to-peer work that we do but that frankly tends to be more around the business model insights themselves rather than necessarily the pure vulnerability of not necessarily knowing how your business is going to evolve as a founder or the stresses of building up a team and feeling responsible for them. I think that side of it does come more one-on-one. And I don't think you can shortcut getting people to feel comfortable to share any of those things with you. I think building a relationship with people where they're willing to be vulnerable takes time and it is something that you need to show them in some way in every single interaction that you have for three months, six months, nine months, a year, two years until until you've really shown through your actions that you are someone that others can lean on and learn from and share with and be vulnerable with. Uh, I think being in person with founders really helps. And so as much as as much as is possible, I do try to spend time on the ground with each of our founders. At this point, I have about 80% of the portfolio covered. So the 20% that I haven't done yet uh, is top of list for the rest of the year and then in 2024 for sure. But I do think that being in person, showing up in particular to emerging markets that often don't have their global investors coming to visit them, yeah. being in person also makes a big difference. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll just add one more thing uh, on that. So the way Alter is structured and their mission uh, is also something that founders really relate with, right? Like, because a lot of times you have these uh, you know, bunch of funds which are uh, which are looking for hey profit first uh, and mission probably embedded within it. But since our origins as well um, as an entrepreneurial support organization and and showing hey you know the, one of the reasons we were a venture fund is because capital came up as a need for these founders. So that is something that a lot of founders really relate with and are open and vulnerable. Uh, to to share that passion with uh, one of the other things with which Yana also does, and uh, I think she she did she was humble enough not to mention. But we really like a smaller things like suppose when our, one of our founders uh, have kids, right? So just kind of showing that appreciation and saying that hey, you know, we're there for you. Here's a small token of appreciation of your life event which you care for. So not just showing for professional achievements, but like even the personal side, being there uh, for some of these founders and noticing that we are there with you, not only on the on the professional side, but really, really on the personal side. Talking slightly again about this topic of waves of innovation that we see across emerging markets. And um, you mentioned that already, Yash, um, but let's, let's maybe double click on that a little bit more. And how you map these markets because i mean there's certain markets i guess you invest in that are more advanced in an emerging market context and then there's others that are a bit more frontier right there's a whole spectrum there's like not one emerging market it's it's not like that there, there, there's a spectrum and there's there's a lot of 
shades into it. So how do you identify those those waves? Um, I, I like that um, comparison, that metaphor a lot, but I guess sometimes you can fall kind of into into chasing chasing those waves and and I, I don't know how much it can bias some of your pattern recognition. So I'm I'm curious mm -hmm. just how you guys think about it and how you actually operationalize this theory really. That's a very valid question, Patrick. Um, I think for us, the advantage is that we are quite global from the early stage. We recognize that, uh, you know, suppose India, Brazil, Indonesia, so almost this triangle, if you visualize, and we call it the emerging market triangle, are where a, where a lot of newer category creators are forming, right? So instead of maybe just the US or Silicon Valley, where uh, some of these bigger companies form, we actually believe that some emerging markets have very unique infrastructure needs where these category creators mostly will come out of these markets. Um, and then, you know, as we map out these waves, we, we learn that, suppose in India, we looked at the off-business market, right? So it's a B2B marketplace for construction, manufacturing, raw materials, and agri-perishables. Uh, now, this is really basic in every other market, right? Like there is, um, you know, price discrepancy, uh, no access to working capital, right? Logistics is often broken. Um, and for a lot of times, um, you know, even for the manufacturers or even for these retailers, it's very relationship driven, right? So they're not able to get out of their own bubble. So for us, we've identified, hey, this is a problem that will exist not only in India, but also, for example, in Indonesia. Um, so we invested in a company called Brick there. We also invested in a company called Super in Brazil. So these are very similar and almost very infrastructure patterns that we've observed. You're right, right? There is a chance that we may fall into over-indexing on some of these patterns. And honestly, when we do come across it, uh, we're very quick to course correct, right? And we're saying, okay, maybe, you know, this model got overfunded and if it's not working, uh, we, we are quick to re realize it, right? Every quarter, we actually refresh our business model thesis and say, hey, what's really working? What's not working and why? And then go back to the drawing board and, and look at, hey, let's look at these business models for this quarter. So that's kind of been our approach till now. And uh, we continue to put out, as, as as we said, business model thesis. The latest one we put out is on SMB FinTech and, and back office of SMB FinTech and what is the right wedge, right? Because we see business models and, and SMBs in emerging markets having the same challenges. You can definitely see those patterns. And also what you mentioned, I feel is very relevant that you're saying it's not necessarily that you go uh, from the US into emerging markets with certain business models. There's a lot of kind of south to south innovation going on. I think that makes a lot of sense because obviously the the parallels across each emerging markets are so much more similar than what we would see Europe, the US, than going into emerging markets and kind of the different business models that that work there and and actually add value when you think about the infrastructure that's in place and in, in the fintech space. Uh, in e-commerce and supply chain and and that's where you can really create some unique value but you have to know that if you come in there with kind of your your uh, western mindset and you say okay this is how we do things in the us and this is how you got to do it and, and and those are the business models it's probably not going to fly segues i guess into into kind of slightly going off script here but um 
I mean, we're kind of all kind of immigrants on 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 here, right? Uh, so 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 it's uh, it's always funny mm-hmm. uh, to talk about that. And we we just released a, a research on on that and kind of founder pathways and what are some of the parallels of kind of successful founders in emerging markets. And there's a lot of people that have moved across countries. There's a lot of immigrants on there, also in the US. When you look at it, I mean, yeah. Yeah, your your nationality is overrepresented. I would say, and when we look at you know top tech CEOs, it, it's amazing, and 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 still, it's 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 tough for Indians to get into the US. You know, I I don't know what what's happening there, but but yeah, not not going into the politics of things, but um, um <laughs> how is it in your portfolio when you look at kind of the, those founder pathways? Are there certain commonalities where you say, okay, they've they studied abroad, they've worked abroad, they've moved across countries, and and what does it do to you being an immigrant? I mean, also from personal experience, if you if you want to add. Yeah, it's a great question. And in full transparency, I think that the kinds of people that become founders in emerging markets is also reflective of the development of those emerging markets. So today... The majority of founders in our portfolio have had the experience of living and working and studying abroad for some period of their lives. And so that does mean that they have had a certain level of access, typically, to global opportunities. I think as time goes on and emerging markets develop even more, and we are able to see that access to opportunity increase for people globally, that the kinds of founders that, or the kinds of people rather, that will become founders in emerging markets will also grow and increase. And that's our goal, really. That's a huge driver for us in general is we can never guarantee economic equality but we can certainly work actively towards greater equality of opportunity. And I think as we continue to do this work and we start to see emerging markets meaningfully increase their digitization on both the consumer and the retail side, as we continue to see disposable incomes rise, quality of education increase, et cetera, we are going to see the backgrounds, the profiles of founders expand and transform as well. And I, Yash hears me say this a lot, but I really believe it. I think founders in emerging markets in particular have a level of hustle, a level of drive, resilience, tenacity that is unparalleled in an incredible way. And it comes from the reality of living and working in environments that are more volatile, where capital is more restricted where to be a founder, to choose that path is so admirable in its difficulty that you have to have those characteristics in place in order to succeed. And and we certainly see that to be true. And immigrants as a whole, I think there are some funds that really focus on working with immigrant founders. And I think for good reason, because they also share those qualities of tenaciousness, resilience, hustle, an incredible passion for building the different models that they set out to to scale. You want to compliment anything to that, Yash? No, absolutely. I think one of the things that we saw early in, suppose, Southeast Asia, 
a lot of Indian founders were going in towards Indonesia, and then they were partnering with a local Indonesian founder uh, to build companies, right? Uh, because they'd seen some business models through and through, right? Uh, from C to CBC, for example, and they realized that, hey, you know, like, all the infrastructure is available. Can someone who understands the local nuance, can we partner with that person uh, to build a great company? And to what Rana said, right? Like some of these markets, like I was in Bangladesh a few months back, just the hustle and not giving up attitude in some of these founders where things are just so difficult, right? Where you, you do not have a lot of Series A companies, where you do not yet have a lot of Series B companies, but they live and breathe um, in the company that they're solving and, and what they're doing, right? So for us, it's trying to find these diamond in the dust uh, founders and seeing what can we do to really support them, right? Like, can we be this true bridge to Silicon Valley, to access of, of capital, access to talent, access to other resources? Uh, and generally, the patterns... Uh, that we see in, in these founders um, have been of resilience, perseverance, tenacity, and just not giving up. That That is so true. And it's so compelling what, what you guys are saying there in terms of access to opportunity, equalizing that a little bit more uh, in terms of the tenacity that those founders have in emerging markets. I'm amazed every day. Like, how how can they, you know, in, in, in the markets where you've got 100% inflation, I mean, yeah. and, and 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 manage that, maneuver that. Like, I I wouldn't have the 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 guts for it. I guess like, it's it's amazing. So yeah, there's there's so much there, but slightly kind of forward leaning. What is next for for Alto? Anything you can share with the with the audience? So Yasha and I actually just got back from a two and a half week trip together to visit our portfolio companies in Southeast Asia. So we spent time both in Jakarta and Indonesia and in Singapore. And we we feel more energized than ever to continue doing this work, finding and investing in high character, passionate, driven founders in emerging markets. So if you are a founder building in Latin America, South, Southeast Asia, the Middle East or Africa, please reach out. We would love to speak with you. We also... Uh, just opened up a little bit of room for new LPs to join our fund and would really like to share the incredible opportunities that emerging markets have to offer with the global investment community. Use it as a chance to offer portfolio diversification from a geographic perspective and also some learnings on the markets themselves. Uh, so if if that sounds appealing to anyone, uh, then please reach out as well. I, I'm sure that our contact information will be available in the show notes. Those are the two biggest updates on our side right now. And uh, like we shared earlier, we will also include a link to the different insights and theses that we've published over time uh, as we want to make them as accessible to others as possible as global awareness and understanding of emerging market grows. Yeah. That that's amazing. Great, great shout out. Um, I'm also really big on on diversification. That's that's always what I'm when I talk to family offices and saying, hey, uh, you don't have to invest all your money in, in emerging markets. We see, like, we're not saying that, but mm-hmm. a tiny percentage is is gonna move yeah. the needle, and uh, you're gonna want to look for those outlier returns. So it makes all the sense there. Before we close, there's three questions that I'm asking everybody in a fast speed round. Would you be ready for those three questions? Let's do it. All right. So first one, who's an entrepreneur you admire and why? Yeah, I think for me, it's um, it's Jerry at, at Clara. Um, so he's building a spend management company in 
in Mexico and, and wider uh, Brazil. Uh, and the reason there was he was actually the quickest to realize how the markets are changing, given the, the whole shift in liquidity and, and how brilliantly he managed and aligned all the investors, the clients, and the growth before anyone else was doing it, right? So he had to take some hard calls, but he did it brilliantly. And so he's one of the founders I really, really admire. Yeah, yeah, totally. We, we had Jerry on the pod and it was amazing listening to him and, and his story and what he's built in such a short period of time. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yana, what about you? Mm, for me, in addition to Jerry, who who I also admire quite a bit, I think I would say... Yele Bademosi, one of our founders based out of Lagos, Nigeria. Mm. So Yele is building Onboard, which is an on-off-ramp crypto uh, platform for Africans across the continent who are looking to transfer their money in different currencies and then transfer them out, be it in fiat or in crypto denominations, uh, to better deal with market volatilities and protect their capital. Yele and their company was one that was unfortunately affected quite a bit by FTX when the crash first occurred. It reflected in them having to make a number of really difficult decisions around their team size and around what the just future orientation of the company was going to look like. And I admire him tremendously because in that moment that is unpredictable, unplanned, out of your hands really scary and uncertain for any founder to deal with. I think Yele responded with as much humility, thoughtfulness, respectfulness as possible. So he is someone that I, I deeply admire and I'm grateful to work with. Yeah, yeah. Two, two amazing examples. And uh, second question, in one phrase, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received and would like to pass on to others? Yeah, so... I heard this one line from one of the mentors I really respect. And I have this mini board of directors uh, on my WhatsApp group. And, and he said, non-linear risks get you non-linear returns. Um, so we are actually, you know, as, as venture, we call it the power law business. And we are always trying to look for uh, those outlier founders who are willing to take that non-linear risks, right? So I really, really relate to this this one phrase. And as we are in this power law business, uh, finding those amazing A++, high character, high competence founders really is what drives me. Yeah. Yeah. Great yeah. one. Mm-hmm. For me, I, it actually comes from my mother, who is an incredible businesswoman in her own right. But something that she often says, uh, because she now manages a team of hundreds of people is only do what only you can do. Mm-hmm. And I think this is true both on an individual level as well as a team level. So as it pertains to me individually, it's figuring out what I am the best equipped to handle on the altar team and to make sure to delegate and to share the responsibilities of other things with the rest of our team. And as an organization, I think it really does mean honing in on the things that Alter does best, that we are known for, that we can uniquely support our founders in, and to focus our energies on that. Because understandably, we are not going to be the best at absolutely everything. And so figuring out what those few secret sauce things are for us and doubling down on them is the best use of our time and effort. Now, I can't necessarily say I'm the best at following this advice myself. But I do really believe in it. And I 
it's a learning journey. So always on the process of getting better. Yeah, I agree. Two great pieces of advice and, and how, how you find your superpower. It's also not easy. Right? You got to do a lot of kind of reflection and, and then honing that superpower is also not easy, right? Like, like yeah. it's always that question, where can you be kind of in the, in the top 10% of, of something, mm-hmm. right? What, what's that superpower that you can literally Im- improve incrementally rather than, than spread out and, and trying to work on your weaknesses, right? I'd, I'd rather work on your strengths, right? Uh, rather than, than your weaknesses, um, I, I suppose, right? Last but not least, three key words that describe a successful business in your opinion. Yeah, mission alignment, conviction, and perseverance. So these three things, I really thought about it. And for Alta as well, like you're so distributed, but so mission aligned within. Um, and, you know, in any company that we invest in as well, uh, we're really searching for, for this interesting motivation and mission alignment for the founders of doing what they're doing. And as we touched earlier, just the perseverance uh, it takes in to build companies in emerging markets and the conviction uh, that, hey, we're going to do it no matter what. Uh, it's just admirable. I think for me, it's tenacity, malleability, which I'll use as a synonym for flexibility and intentionality. Amazing. That's a great set of key variables we need for a successful business there. Thanks, guys, for, for making the time. It was such a pleasure having you guys on the show. Hear more about it. Ultra, your roles at the firm, your perspective on emerging markets tech. So much out there. Yeah, really excited. What is next for the firm? And uh, thanks for making the time, guys. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for listening to The Enthusiast Podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts to always stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you enjoy the work we are doing, drop us a review or give us a rating. This show is produced by me, Patrick Alex. Also a big shout out to Constanze Ulreich, who is leading our newsletter efforts and much more. Title music by Stock Studio called That Funk Show. <laughs>